Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Shomon Katoshu Daiyon Judoksoku Joshu Muji Joshu Chinamini Soto Kushi Nikaete Busho Ariamata Nashia Shu Iwaku Mo So Iwaku Isai Shujo Minno Busho Ari くしにんとして帰ってなし。主曰く。彼に語しきしょうのあるあるがためなり。またそうありと。くしに帰って武将ありやまたなしや。主曰く。おお。そう曰く。すでにある何としてか帰って釈子の日たりにどんゆする。主
circumstance of immense power. Frankly, who would do this by themselves? Anyone? And if you said yes, then I would ask you, why do you come here? <laughs> yeah. Today is a gray day. The air is a little more laden with vapors. You can feel it on your skin, walking in Kinhin. Even though it's not hot, a little exertion of your body interacts with the environment. And sooner or later, we will just forget about the environment. We will forget about ourselves. And then we are really entering into this miracle of our communal mountain climb. I'm sure you all can feel it this, this day, no matter what uh, number it is. You can tell by the length the men of their beards, or you can tell by the amount of accumulated water in your legs from your edemas or pain. But it's a good amount into this already. And it feels different. It feels different. The meals are different. The chanting certainly is quite different. And still, Zen practice, especially formal Zen practice, is, is a continuous process of giving oneself fuller and fuller and fuller. So I would like to point a couple of things out in this wonderful form that we have that helps us see, discern, notice where we are in accord with what is going on or where we are not. These are fine points, you might say, but please consider them. So when we walk together, on this mountain hike. In the formal way here, we have two different ways of acting. Either all together, and we know that when the bell rings, you know, when the bell rings, we don't just bow and jump up. We wait until Jikijitsu-san has put his bell away and leads us, and everybody, at the same moment, just like that. I know your legs might not cooperate, so don't feel bad about that. There's nothing to be done about. But if you can, let's do it all together. Another way that we act together is like on that mountain where we are tied to each other with a rope, so that if one of us falls off, the others hold enough weight to carry us along. And it works like dominoes at times, like with the tea in the zendo. Jikijitsu-san and Shingeroshi Tanto-san, they begin the tea drinking by picking up their cup. 
And like the dominoes, down the road, it goes down the zendo. It's a beautiful thing to feel when it happens. And it is very obvious if it doesn't. So, try to feel those connections, those ropes that we have between us, that we then, over time, learn actually keep us also safe. When arriving at Zen practice in a place like this, and Shingiroshi laid it out in this wonderful, not only account, but also a recount of what she has lived through here, what others have lived through here, and some, many who have departed have lived through here. And we are the beneficiaries in this very moment of all that work, all that dedication, all that giving oneself even fuller. So when you come for the first time, as Gion san said in his wonderful talk on the first day, read between the formality, feel the warmth and the clarity and the deep wish of helping each other and this world between these apparently arbitrary procedures. Consider it from the point of view, how often in your life have you done something that you really don't want to do? Would you rather learn to do what your life is fully, no matter what it is, or would you like to go on grumbling about it until it's over? It's a good choice to make. If you have questions about it, you can always ask Roshi in Doksan what it is. But before resorting to words, try to feel it. Try to feel it. On both sides, feel how we as a community manifest the form, but also feel inside yourself what is the reflection of it that comes back. Do we have a mirror in here that is a mirror that is really plain and completely reflects what it is? Or is it contorted and we see a skewed image that is in quite stark contrast to what really stands before the mirror? These are things that we can consider here. There is this place, Zendo, where you can sit down and not move for 45 minutes. Isn't that great? <laughs> Nobody will disturb us. There are no disturbances. Opportunities arise, countless opportunities. Birds, rain, somebody coughing, 
or even an intrusive thought of yours. Opportunities. This is the welcome place. Whatever comes, welcome. Whatever comes. I'm sure you know about the six parameters, the six perfections in Buddhism. And the third one of them is called Kshanti or Kanti. And it is usually translated as forbearance or patience. In the Zen understanding, this patience is quite different than the patience that we know in our daily lives where we wait for something to arrive or we, we practice forbearance with a state ah, that we don't want for it to go away. This kind of ksanti or forbearance or patience is to have the patience and the forbearance to fully accept what presents in front of us every moment. Being patient with the world, being patient with that unfolding of this dharma, non-attached to our own ideas of how it should be. Because that's what we overlook when we do that. We are attached to our own ideas. And Roshi spoke yesterday about the first bowl is the Buddha bowl. Why? He had only one. One robe, one bowl. That's it. One bowl. And when we practice here in the tradition of the Buddha, and we have three bowls in front of us, and when the meal starts and we go and we, ah, I like the third bowl. Already, it is the, the, the mirror shows us, ah, preferential mind. Second and third bowl are extra. These are the nice things to have the Buddha didn't have. So even if we can't eat what's in the first bowl, we always pick it up first. We always pick it up first and we always pick it up completely. It's not like at the races, ready, set, Utensils on the right, bowl on the left. No, it is our full attention goes to that first bowl. We pick it up and then we come into the play here. We pick up our utensils and then we start eating. It seems so mundane to say that, but it makes a difference. Try it out. Try it out. See what we are used to give into unconditionally without ever asking a question. Even in our language, in our thinking, it is too hot. So ruled, says the judge of myself. It is hot. Different statement. Or if you're really honest, I'm hot. <laughs> I'm hot. It's okay to be hot. But 
using the silence we have in between all the activities, in between our thoughts, in between our being able to stay with the breath, in between being carried away somewhere else, take the time to clearly, clearly look at all these wonderful details that we call our lives. This is your life. You're not here to follow any kind of rule book so that somebody who is behind an invisible mirror can check off the things you do right or wrong. No. This is about your life. This is about the quality of your life and the ability that we can develop of living it fully, no matter what it is. So that is the introduction that I'm giving uh, to what's coming next. I am continuing to present the koans in order as they are in this collection, Entangling Vines, the Shumon Katoshu. And today we encounter one of the more obscure koans uh, with, a, with a, uh, a Zen master who is only a fringe person in this Zen business. Huh? I thought that would be funny, but... <laughs> Well, of course, Joshu's Mu is the gateless barrier, case one. It is the gateless barrier itself. And it is intimidating to even talk about it. I printed this out, and Inji-san's asked me this morning, oh, will you give me the case? So I handed her the case, and she says, oh, wow. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> oh, wow. What is he going to do? So please be prepared for an utter disappointment. Joshu's Mu. A couple of the things that uh, I want to say about this koan study. It's the first koan in the Mumonkan in, in this kind of uh, way of approaching at least the Rinzai Zen uh, way. And you heard I recited it in the Kambun, in the reading. I, I hope Genryo-san didn't cringe too much. Uh, that's how it's read. And it's not only read like that. If you are a student of a Japanese Zen master and work with them after having done three years of zazen at least and work then you are admitted to do koan practice you have to learn this by heart the learning by heart and the presentation of it when we bow and we have our head down that is when the koan is recited in its entirety it's part of the training it's part of the training you have to read it exactly the way that your lineage reads it. And there are tiny differences. I read Kushi for the little dog. It is dog and child, the characters, dog, child. Kushi. Others read it as Kusu. Kusu. Different. You get it exactly in the way how the wind of the house, the wafu, blows different traditions, different words. 
This year is in the Schumann cut to show a little bit different. The first half we know from the Mumon Khan case one. It's just the first uh, portion, the among us, Joshu Jushin. Jushin is added in the translation because there are multiple Joshus. So it really says, among us, Joshu, does a dog have Buddha nature? Joshu answered, Mu. That portion we know from Mumon Khan case one. That is the main case of the gateless barrier case one. The reply is not in there. But if you study the Shoyoroku, the book of equanimity, case 18 is the entire case as it is here. Not only the first monk asking and Joshu replying and the monk asking his or her follow-up question and Joshu's reply, but also the second incident where another ordained person asked the same question and gets a different answer and follows up with a different question and gets yet another answer. So this is the first, one of the first koans. Joshu, Joshu Jushin was born in 778 of the common era and lived until 897. And that's not a mistake. It is nearly 120 years that Joshu lived. In the Asian counting of time, it is 120 because it is, one is walking one's first year when you are born. So your birthday is your first birthday. So if you are walking your 120th year, you're 119 years old. That usually works out. We had a Japanese monk come and visit us here in the United States. And when we asked him, how old are you? Oh, I'm 65, he said. Oh, good, we can buy you a senior ticket. It was all nice until he came there and he showed his ID. And it turned out, yes, he's 64. He doesn't qualify for a senior ticket. Standing at the airport, what now? He came here. He, he was also a brother monk of Edo Roshi at Ryotakuji. His name was uh, Jian Fuji. Jian Fuji. He had his little temple somewhere on the Ise Peninsula and did session by himself. He had never seen a dentist in his life, and you could tell. Very strong person, very strong person. And completely changed when he met Soen Roshi. From an exemplary monk into this ragged, completely disheveled kind of person. But at heart, still, on the plane, he started a discussion with the person sitting next to him. 
about conditionality and things like that. And they came to the point where he said, oh, what if I get up now and open the door of the airplane? Oh, no, you would never do that. Oh, yeah. Zen monk jumps up, puts his hands on the door. We were going to pick him up, pick him up at the airport. Everybody came out, but not, not, not this monk. He had been detained by the marshals <laughs> for threatening the operation of an aircraft. Be careful. Zen doesn't play well everywhere. <laughs> so Joshu, 120 years old, he was born in Kaoshu. It was this in the current day Shandong province. His family name was He. And he became the student of the great Zen master Nansen Fugan at the age of 18. Now from now on, I see everybody will think, well, was he 18 or was he 17? <laughs> it doesn't matter. So they got together at that age. He was 18. And they really hit it off. From the beginning, how did they meet? Already when they met, it was clear that Joshu is a very, very special person. Joshu comes and meets Nansen. Nansen was lying on his bed in his chamber. And he saw Joshu coming and asked the dreaded question that the Zen master asks you. Where have you come from? Lying on the bed there. Joshu said, from Zuizo Temple. Zuizo means the figure of bliss. Nansen asked, have you seen the figure of bliss? Joshua replied, a figure of bliss I, I have not seen. A lying Buddha I have seen. At this, Nansen sat up, got up, and asked, do you have a master already? Feeling the potential and what is there in this young man, Joshu? And Joshu answered, I have. Nansen inquired, who is your master? Joshu said, although winter is past its peak, it is still very cold. May I suggest, my master, that you take good care of your body? Joshu had made that choice. Nansen had made that choice, or there was no choice in it at all. They really, really attracted each other in a way like almost no other constellation of teacher and student in the history of Zen. Joshu and Nansen spent 
nearly 40 years together. And not for the fact that Joshu didn't awaken, because he awakened in the first year with Nansen right away. His Dharma eye opened. But his devotion was to the process of being with, as a student, as an equal, in essence and in function, with Nansen Fugan. And after Nansen died, what did Joshu do? He took care of his grave for another two years, and then at the tender age of 60, decided to go on pilgrimage. So at the age of 60, he went through China and met with many of the greatest Zen masters of that time. One of his vows that he made for this pilgrimage was, he said, I will seek instruction from even a seven-year-old seven one who has a deeper understanding than I have. If I meet a man or a woman of a hundred who I can teach anything, I will freely give. Here we see in action the two stages that we heard about in the first talk of this retreat simultaneously. Eventually, at the age of 80, he was invited to become abbot of the temple Kannonin, so the Avalokiteshvara temple, in the town of Joshu. That's where his na name comes from. Nowadays, uh, that uh, temple was renamed after the famous oak tree or juniper tree koan. And so the temple nowadays is called Jushiji, the Juniper Grove Temple after Joshu. He instructed many disciples and he died at the age of 119. He lived very, very simply. Just the essentials. And many descriptions of his teaching say that he had golden lips, that light was emanating when he was speaking. And it's also interpreted that he didn't hit people, he didn't shout. But if you read the Joshua Roku, there are shouts and hits also in there. But it was not his prime way of instructing his students. Many of his utterances became koans, including this one here. So, what is Joshu's teaching, we might ask ourselves. What is the flavor of his teaching? You might think that when we hear about flashing light or golden lips, it has to do with words. But nothing was further from Joshua's liking than words. He really did not like anything abstract. Talking about truth, 
now. So when somebody asked him, Master, what should we tell if somebody asks me, since I'm studying with you, what your teaching is about? And Joshua said, if you are asked, what does Joshua teach? Just say, when cold, cold. When hot, hot. But students don't give up. They ask for something. You must have a signature word. And of course, Mu, <laughs> he would not have claimed that, but Mu is in. We can't take that away from Joshua. It's just historically. But when asked for his word, Joshua said, there isn't even half a word. And people don't give up asking. So when asked further, but master, master, but are you not here? And he said, yeah, but I'm not the word. Somehow, I think if Joshua would have lived in our times, he would probably be a stand-up comic. The immediacy and the freshness, not really being firmly grounded at all times, not being taken away in any hypotheticals, in any kind of mental activity that takes us away from this place where he's standing. I would like to just give you a couple more of these wonderful, it's, to me, this is like a candy dish of Joshu. Uh, and each candy has a little flavor to it that, that, that makes you pucker up, you know? It's not sweet, but it's not bitter. It's delicious, uh, this delicious, refreshing kind of candy. A monk asked Joshua, during each hour of the day for 24 hours, how should I apply my mind? You might have that question about being here. What should I do these 24 hours of each of these days of this wonderful session? Joshua said, you are used by the hours. I use them. What is this time you are asking about? So tonight, what night? <laughs> this evening, when you feel tired, and you come to your room and you look at the clock, oh my God, it's already, they went over again. <laughs> right? Remember, what is time? Oh, I only get so and so many, whatever number it is, it's not enough sleep, <laughs> right? In that moment, recall Joshua. What is sleep? 
What is tired? You make it a thing, it surely will not only use you, it will abuse you. You will find you on the wrong end of the stick that you have given out and asked for to be hit with. Who needs a Zen teacher? Another of those wonderful stories. He really trusted into, in, in, the, in, in human beings and in the intuition of that innate humanity that we carry within all of us. And he said about teaching, if the right person teaches the wrong way, the way will follow the person and will write itself. If the wrong person preaches the right way, the way will follow the person and deviate, become wrong. This is such an important aspect of the vision, of the seeing that we have to develop as practitioners and human beings. We hear something, we see something, we feel something. We have to feel it in the way that we can clearly perceive if this is something that leads us to deviate what is needed to be done or if it is something even, it doesn't sound right, but we know it's the right thing to do. If you listen to your ego, you would have gotten messages on your text if the ego had, a, had your number. Don't give it out. Don't go to DBC. Bing! <laughs> 50 times. Something terrible will happen there. Bing! Can you leave me here? <laughs> Bing! So don't do that. That's one of the things we have to learn. And that is that seeing clearly through that Joshua about the right person doing the wrong thing will write itself out with the right attitude, with the right dedication, with the right in the sense that the Buddha talked about those eight different portions of the Eightfold Path. It's important to keep that in mind. Here, I knew monks like that. There was one monk who asked Joshua, Master, what is the essence of essences? <laughs> Joshua said, How long have you been essencing yourself up? <laughs> the monk said, I, I have been concerned with essence for a long time. Joshua said, Oh boy, you are lucky to have met me. The fool was almost essenced out. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Feet firmly on the ground, pulling 
the essenced out person from the clouds, the mist, straight onto the floor, pinning him down, just like we heard yesterday. The lion cub was pinned down. Here, what was in China of that time, a high official would be probably a very successful person nowadays. So this high official bar asked Joshu, Master, do you practice? Joshu said, it would be a disaster if I would. Ba said, if you yourself do not practice, to whom can you teach the practice then if you're not practicing yourself? Joshu said, you. <laughs> ba said, how can you call someone like me a practitioner? Joshu said, if you did not practice, how could you have overcome hunger and cold, fed yourself, warmed yourself, and attained the place where you are right now? With tears in his eyes, the official bowed in gratitude. This is the last one I share with you. Someone asked, when perfectly clear, without even the tiniest speck of dirt, what is that like? Joshu said, there is no room in my place for such a rascal. Very reminiscent of Kanzanegen, the founder of Myoshinji, who replied to the monk who was coming to look birth and death, was told, there is no birth and death in my place. Go away. This is the Joshu who appears in this koan. There is a translation of the Joshu Goroku by Joel Hoffman that has 478, I think 478 sayings of Joshu. It's a wonderful thing to have and just read one here and there. But as it is with candy, too much candy will make your teeth fall out. So, but here and there, go and get one of those. Here is Mu. You might ask yourself, oh God, what time is it? How is he planning on finishing this today? He is not. <laughs> you might have noticed this is 46-1. There's 46-2, 3-4, 5, and 6. There are six cases in this Shumon Katoshu that have to do with Joshu and Mu and people responding to it. And some of the questions... Uh, I will address in those individual cases, but I might, might take a shortcut and put a couple of them together because uh, we don't want to get stuck on Mu. So, but here we go. 
What kind of a koan is this? Is it really about dogs? Is it really about asking, well, have or have not? I'm sure you all have heard and you have read about that mu is used in a very, very different way that has nothing to do necessarily with interpretation, Buddhist terms, and so on. So I thought just it would be a good idea to see Mu as a koan for what it is. Hakuin created his own system with different types of koans. And the first type of koan he calls Hoshin, or Dharmakaya koan. Dharma body koan. There are koans that are concerned with our fundamental insight into non-duality. Not insight, no, into non-duality becoming us. There are a couple of them, you know, Sekishu Onjo, the sound of one hand. And Mu is another koan that is a Hoshin koan. Sometimes I like to say maybe we could translate it as an immersion koan because it is a, a koan into which we immerse ourselves 100%, not to get soaked or wet. We don't stick our little toe in and then pull it out. I got Mu. <laughs> no, it's a full immersion, a full immersion, which for a, it's a, it's a, it's a really very clear analogy. It might be frightening full immersion for an existence that depends on thinking in the same way that full immersion for a long time for a being that needs to breathe will panic under full immersion. But in this case, don't be afraid. The drowning of that thinking is the very necessity to be able to stay long enough immersed that one can completely dissolve. It is frightening for that being that we occupy in our daily lives that likes to call ourselves I, to have to go to such a place. But that is the only place where freedom and even freedom of oneself is able to be and words fail. Immersion means that we throw ourselves into the practice of Mu in a way that we throw ourselves into our prostrations, into the running to Doksan when the bell rings. Completely, all the time. And there is no better place than a session.
you can't miss if you do this. While the tenso, I would say, should keep track of the meals. But if you're not tenso, if you're not jiki-jitsu, if you have the luxury of just sitting on this cushion here, completely immerse yourself into this non-dual, into this mu. There are many paths that lead to it, but none of them can bypass the immersion and the absence of thinking, oxygen, identity, and all of that. This intuition I spoke about before of when something doesn't seem to be right can help you here, especially here. Don't go there, don't go there. Forward, forward. Stay away, big sign, danger, don't come here. Yes, that's where we have to go. That's where we have to go because that's the only place we can disappear. And I would like to make this a family affair. Our Dharma family. What does our Dharma family, our ancestors have to say about this? You know, every dedication in the morning service and the one that, we, that I chanted today and that Inosan chants before Teisho has Yoga Kutsu Soen in it. That is... So in Shaku, here is a short uh, translation of one of his writings. Working on Zen is not just limited to sitting on a cushion. Make no distinction between night and day, between being awake and being asleep, between eating or shitting, between receiving guests or working, at all times and in all places, you are in the samadhi of Mu. The ancients said that working on Zen is the, the midst of action, in the midst of action, is 100 million times more valuable than working on Zen while sitting still. If your way of working on Mu is listless and half-hearted, Mistaken thoughts of many kinds will arise. You will just make guesses. Since you can't reason it out, can't put it into words, and can't put your hands on it, you think there is nothing to do except be with no. Or you think it expounds a principle. Or you think it expresses this or that, a meaning. But such answers do not see Mu at all. The dead practice of those with fox doubt and lack of faith, though they spend one billion years on it, is not one bit of use. Put a bullet that has been heated red hot in your mouth. You cannot swallow it and you cannot spit it out. 
when you work on your practice. That's how it should be done. Back and forth, back and forth. When you finally reach that place where ahead there is no advance and behind there is no retreat, then for the first time you will find that a living path appears. Push yourself to the utmost and at that point there is transformation. Transform yourself and you will pass through. This is the necessary principle. No matter what, once at least, you must finally push yourself over the limit. And so in Shaku lived, I would say by now, almost 150 years almost ago. This could be said by one of our living teachers here. And this is what we come here to do. Reading about it and, and creating ideas. Oh, what will it be like? Is to no avail. It's the factory of self-created hindrances, expectations. That's the wrong kind of kshanti that looks for something. Oh, it will come and it will be wonderful. It will be that you can't say it. And if anyone says it this or that way, they're handing you for, forged money. Joshua always paid cash. Actually, not cash. It must have been just coins. Not forgeable. And he always paid in full. No partial payments in this business of Mu. No IOUs, no checks, no credit cards. Just complete full payment. Now, he, he spoke about uh, a word that made me remember, you know, the most interesting things happen sometimes in, when meeting with people. It's wonderful to have the privilege to meet uh, and connect with other human beings in, in Doksan. And Joshu Roshi always said, it's, it's much better than TV, more entertaining, uh, because you never know what's going to happen. And there was this one, what happened, and the person came and saw me, and on, on the way out, it was almost like Columbo. I don't know if you remember, uh, it's a very old show where the detective, on the way out, uh, just in the door turns around, oh, by the way. And that is the clue that then solves the crime. But in this case, the person turned around and said, oh, before I go, a friend of mine asked me if I could ask a question for them. Sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, he would like to know, uh, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> oh, great. To make it short, there is no meaning. But here we get into this place where wisdom is not enough. The wisdom would say there is no inherent preordained meaning in life. But the compassion and the warmth of that Maitri Karuna 
will have us use words and deeds to make sure to get across. And I said it to this person, you know, look at it from the point of view of having won the lottery. A person who has won the lottery, the money itself doesn't mean anything. But how you spend it. So you, I, we won the lottery, being a human being with eyes, ears, hearts, tongues, mind, and time and life. Meaning is what we create, how we live this life. That's what Joshua is about. The thing in front of me is the thing. Why? What's the meaning? No. Wood. Does the dog have Buddha nature or not? Please spend your time here. And here is always here, wherever you may be. Spend all that fortune of the lottery of having been born a human being. Give it away. Immerse yourself into this practice of non-duality. You will come back out. The activity of Dharma is not one-sided. Even if something drowns in a lake, it will come back up. They call it a floater. <laughs> it's not a nice thing to look at. But life goes on. One will come back. And I remember Sogen Hori, Victor Hori, who was a professor of uh, Japanese and Asian religions at McGill University, who spent 12 years in Japanese monasteries, who also translated and compiled the Zen sand, the uh, capping phrases of the Zenrin Kushu, and wrote many, many wonderful articles from his background of having gone through the mangle of uh, monastic Zen practice. He explained his work with Mu, even while he was out if he had to drive somewhere, he had to remind himself not to engage in the practice of Mu while driving, except when the light turns red, then you can go back. Yeah? And then when people honk, <laughs> you know, it's time to go again. Here it is safe. You don't have to watch for anything. Just do it like Sogen did completely fall into it. You will come out. We'll catch each other. Yeah? Will we? Yeah? Hi. Shall we catch each other when we come out? Good. Then we are all safe. More move in the second and maybe third instance of this mini-series coming in the future.
this is the time when the generator tests itself once a, once a week. It is Tuesday afternoon, shortly before 4 o'clock. Another sign that you are safe here. Everything is thought of. We will catch each other. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.